Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Have you had a leaky roof? We did, and it was a nightmare. But through Angie, we found an amazing roofer who specialized in flat roofs, and he fixed it right and quickly. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and website are both free to use. That's Angie.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 506 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name. He, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E. Text the word wine to 511-511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. So text wine to 511-511. Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast.
This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us is our old friend Greg Palace, the former BBC reporter, investigative journalist, author, filmmaker. His most recent uh, movie, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. You can find it over on Amazon, among other places. Uh, GregPalace.com is his website, and you can tweet him at Greg underscore Palace. Greg, welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you, Tom. Thanks for joining us. A couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Starting out, I was reporting on this yesterday. Politico is reporting. Now, I have seen, in fact, I think I said it to you yesterday, a story that contradicted Politico's report. And so I don't know what to do with this. But Politico is reporting that the number of Democrats registered in the state of Florida is down 2% over the last 18 months since the 2016 election. What's reality? Well, the reality is that the number of Democrats and Republicans are down in Florida, but that it's mainly Democrats. The registration differential is only 284,000. That's spit out of 11 million votes. That's a 284,000 voter edge for the Democrats. That's all that's left after the million voter edge that Al Gore had when the election was swiped from him. How does this happen? You have young people marching after the Parkland massacre in Florida. Uh, registering voters. You have a massive influx, over a quarter million people from Puerto Rico after the hurricane. They are American citizens and Florida citizens now on the Space Coast. How does this happen? It's called vote suppression, or as I prefer to call it, vote theft. That's what's going on in Florida, big time, big scale. So how do they do it? Ah, okay. And who's doing um, it? You have the Secretary of State, Ken Detzner, who's Catherine Harris without the mortician makeup. And he has been purging those voter rolls like a white tornado. What he does is, you know, if you skip voting and he sends out a card, you're removed. If they think, think again, that you have been convicted of a felony, that is, you have a name that's similar to someone who's been convicted of a felony, you're removed. Florida remains one of the only states where uh, ex-cons can't vote in America. Uh, By the way, that's on the the ballot, guys, in November, Proposition 4, which would uh, let our people go and vote. Um, So these are some of the tricks. Plus, Rick Scott ran a campaign to remove 181,000 voters whom he accused of being potential aliens, whatever that is. Maybe they come from space, but he, you know, what he meant was from south of the border. 181,000 Florida citizens who he marked as potential aliens for removal from the voter rolls. They actually convicted one, a Republican from Austria. But that's Rick Scott's program, and if it smells like KKK, Chris Kobach of Kansas, yeah, that's the guy who came up with the idea. Wow, wow. What can the citizens of Florida do about this, Greg? How about vote? How about register? And when I say register, you think you're registered? Oh, think again. Go to the Florida uh, Secretary of State's website and re-register. Make sure that when you do vote, you bring an ID that passes Ken, the Secretary of State's weird rules. And if you get an absentee ballot to mail in, I prefer that you walk it into a state office or into the polling station itself to make sure that it gets counted. Yeah. Remarkable stuff. Bill Nelson has come out and said the Russians are not just coming for Florida. They're already here. And apparently Richard Burr is the one who told him and Marco Rubio about this. Rubio is confirming what Nelson is saying. 
that Russian hackers, maybe not the Russian government, maybe people, maybe, I, you know, some of the cheapest and best hackers in the world are in Russia. Maybe they're working for the RNC. Who knows? I mean, Paul Manafort used to hire these people. But whatever it is, he's saying that they're inside the voter registration rolls. In fact, his exact quote, I'm paraphrasing it from memory, but it's damn close, is we're going to have a real mess if on Election Day a lot of people show up to vote and are told, sorry, you're not on the election rolls anymore. Yeah, he's right about that. But Hey, Bill, you can't out-crazy Rick Scott. They're, they're <laughs> running against each other for the United States Senate. And joining and using Marco Rubio as your source, uh, Senator Burr, for anything is really suspect. Forget about the Russians. It's Rick Scott and his Secretary of State who have all of the passwords. They have the motive. They have the opportunity. And, yes, voters have been disappearing literally by the hundreds of thousands. How do people get removed from the voter rolls of Florida? And it's not just the deceased. It should be growing those voter rolls, and they are shrinking. So what's happening is that the GOP, which is inside and claims the legal right to do so, has been erasing names. Rick Scott, take my word for it, does not need any kid from Russia to tell him how to erase names from voter rolls. This is very dangerous stuff, and Bill, the Cold War is over. Let's leave the Russia-Russia stuff out of it. Well, on the other hand, if the Russia-Russia stuff is acceptable to the media, you know, I mean, this has been covered on MSNBC fairly heavily over the last few days, and Republicans engaging in vote theft is not acceptable to the media because it's almost never covered outside of maybe the ID laws and even then in passing then might that be a MacGuffin, to use Hitchcock's old phrase? Can we trick the media into actually reporting on this story? Exactly. Uh, It could be, but, you know, as T.S. Eliot said, doing the right thing for the wrong reason is the greatest treason. Mm. And I'm very concerned about using this Russia stuff because it can be disproved. Nelson is now very embarrassed because he can't prove anything. And whereas very much, very real, is the removal of voters by the hundreds of thousands That should be challenged. That's a GOP operation. Very dangerous stuff, and I'm very concerned about how the voting machines are operating. Not that this is some guy in a cave who's going to switch the votes from Nelson, the Democrat, to Rick Scott, the Republican, in the election. What I'm concerned about is we've had in Kansas and in Florida before, we've already seen this in Florida, where the machines simply don't work. They break down and they don't take votes or they record votes and the votes just get wiped out. And that's an old Florida trick, and that's what I'm afraid of. And again, it's the GOP controlling those machines, and it's a very dangerous situation, but they don't need help from Moscow, the GOP, to figure out how to shoplift an election. You mentioned Kansas. Chris Kobach just won the Republican primary there and is going to run against the Democrat in the election for, what is it, governor, as I recall? Yes, three-way race, actually. It's a dead heat between three candidates. There's Chris Kobach of Kansas, uh, Mr. Crosscheck himself, the Wizard of Crosscheck, and there will be the Democrat, Kelly. Uh, There will be Greg Orman, who is running as an independent and stands a very good chance, actually, of winning. Uh, whether the Dem really? and the Indy will split the vote and let Kobach slither through, we will see. But one thing I should note, the sitting Republican governor was defeated by Kobach, not because of the voters, but as the sitting governor noted, and I thought, he must have been reading my stuff. He's saying, hey, Chris Kobach, you're not counting provisional ballots of independent voters. They shouldn't have been given provisional ballots in the first place. They're allowed to vote in the Republican primary. Those votes are not counted. Absentee ballots were junked and dumped. Hmm. And voting machines uh, did not report the full totals. 
And we've discussed this, and I'm sorry, Mr. Collier, you've been an enabler of Chris Kobach for years, and now you've fallen on his sword. So I'm not really sympathetic, but I am scared for democracy. I'm not sympathetic to Collier, who got beaten by the methods that he had endorsed himself for too many years. Tell me about this third-party candidate. I know that the Green Party is being supported by the Republican Party in at least one state. Is this yeah. that sort of thing, or is this... No, I mean, no, this... no. Orman, I don't know what his game is, but last time, by the way, in a Senate race, the Democrats basically effectively withdrew their candidate and backed Orman as an independent as the best way to win in Kansas. Hmm. And correctly, he's noted that the Democratic candidate, and this is embarrassing, you Dems, endorsed Chris Kobach's requirement that new voters, that's mostly young people, prove that they are American citizens in order to vote. That was thrown out by the courts. It resulted in contempt fine against Chris Kobach. It's embarrassing that the Democrat had endorsed this and Orman saying, no, if he gets elected, people are going to be allowed to vote. I'm not endorsing Orman. I don't know. Believe me, I just want to say that the Democrats have got to have a different line other than Russians to talk about election theft, and especially if they're going to go along with the GOP systems of blocking voters from voting. Yeah. Amen. And finally, Greg, when you look out at the entire nation and the state of our elections right now and the state of our vote, what do you see? What are the problems? What are the lowlights? What are the highlights? What are the upbeat stories that you can tell us that we can anticipate going into the 2018 November elections? The bad news is that two million voters in total have disappeared from the voter rolls. Nationwide. Since, nationwide since 2016. Wow. Uh, the nation, by the way, is not shrinking, in case you were wondering. No. Yeah. And people, they're not sending in millions of cards saying, please remove my name from the voter rolls. You're seeing mass purges all over the country. But the other thing that you're seeing is people getting angry about it. Not only the purges, but the government that we have in Washington. I hope and believe that there will be an energy. I have to say that the uh, Secretary of State or the Elections Department in Florida noted that very few young people have registered to vote despite the marches and registration drives by the Parkland students in Florida. That's because they're putting impediments in the way of young voters. You can't vote on college campuses, hard to register there. And that's happening all over the U.S. under GOP-controlled states. But I think if people get angry enough, they're going to be reacting and they're going to go to the polls. This is a turnout race. So turn out, but please check your registration beforehand. I don't know, how many times do we have to tell you? Do that. Yeah, amen. Greg Pallas, the great Greg Pallas, investigative journalist, author, filmmaker, his most recent The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. If you haven't seen it, you need to check it out. GregPallas.com is the website, and you can tweet him at Greg underscore Pallas. Greg, thanks so much for being with us. You're very welcome, Tom. Always great talking with you. Tom Hartman here with you, and boy, a lot going on in the world today. I wanted to just catch you up on a number of things. Devin Nunes, I mentioned that he was being slammed for calling the police on protesters across the street from his office. Ajit Pai, under attack from congressional Democrats for lying to Congress, which, by the way, is a felony. He can go to prison for years for doing this, uh, doing it, particularly doing it on behalf of Verizon and the other big telecom providers who, historically, who, who, who used to pay his paycheck and it wouldn't surprise me if he's got plans for them to pay his paychecks in the future. These kind of shills are a curse on American politics, people like Ajit Pai. Next, it looks like Ted Cruz is starting to panic down in Texas. Beto O'Rourke is just doing spectacular. This guy, he is made for television. He's young, he's clean, 
By clean, I mean, you know, there's no whiff of scandal in his past. He hasn't had three wives and all that kind of stuff. He's, he's a good guy, and he's a solid progressive. Ted Cruz brought in a bunch of out-of-state money and ran a bunch of ads attacking Beto O'Rourke last week. And the result of that was that Beto O'Rourke's fundraising jacked up to the point that just last weekend, as Cruz's ads were hitting the airways, people were looking at the Cruz ads going, this is crap, I'm not going to put up with this, and I'm going to go to Beto O'Rourke's website and give him money. He raised $1.3 million just on Saturday and Sunday, just over the weekend. $1.3 million, bucks, Beto O'Rourke because Ted Cruz's ads are so deceptive and so disgusting. But, you know, Ted Cruz, you look up deceptive and and disgusting in the dictionary, and what do you see a picture of Ted Cruz? Over on uh, Fox so-called news, the uh, Trump propaganda channel, Trish Reagan last week did an entire segment trashing Denmark. Denmark, really. Brad Reed writing about this over at rawstory.com for being a socialist hellhole. There's something rotten in Denmark. Uh, She said, those freebies, well, they're anything but free. Everyone in Denmark is working for the government. This is this working for the government is, you know, an old canard that uh, Republicans love to hold up. It's total BS. As Bloomberg reports, Danish officials are now Danish officials are now condemning Reagan's commentary as wholly inaccurate, a.k.a. another Fox News lie. And the finance minister puts on Twitter. So Danes don't want to work. Here are 11 places better than the United States in OECD statistics. So there's 11 countries where people work more hours and more enthusiastically around the world. Denmark is one of them than the United States. So, you know, Trish Reagan just lying on Fox News, as is as we expect. We are working much more than Americans, says the finance minister, and at the same time ranking as the world's best in work-life balance. You should come to Denmark if you dare to be confronted with the facts. And uh, the facts are not things that are friends of the Republicans, and they're not things that are friends of the, uh, of the Fox so-called news channel. So, gee, what a surprise. I've been using the Muse EEG neurofeedback headband. I'm not sure that's exactly what they call it, but the website is choosemuse.com. It's a little headband you put on, um, just sets over your ears, sort of like a pair of glasses, only it goes across the forehead. And it actually reads your brain waves your EEG, and feeds it back to you through a free app on your, on your smartphone into your earphones, uh, into, your, into your ears, as the sounds of weather. And as your brain gets more agitated, the weather gets louder. And as your brain gets calmer and more peaceful and more meditative, the weather gets softer and the waves get softer. And you start hearing little birds when you're having really cool brainwave activity that's associated with the way that good meditators do it. It's a meditation instruction tool, and meditation is such an incredible thing. It, it you know, helps concentration, focus, lowers blood pressure. I've been using this for about four or five months now, and I have noticed in my daily writing, because I've, I've got a 10-book contract right now, and I'm writing so much every single day. I used to, I used to sit down to write and say, okay, I'm going to write for an hour, and half of that hour was spent with distractions. I'd think of this and think of that, and, oh, I need to check my email. Oh, i got to do this. And... And I would constantly distract myself and then eventually come back to it. Since I've started using the Muse, now when these distractions pop up, just like they do in my meditation, I've learned how to, just like in my meditation, say, oh, that's a distraction. I'll let go of that. I'll come back to that later. I'm going to get back to writing. And now, instead of getting 30 minutes worth of work done in an hour of sitting and writing, I'm getting 50 or 60 minutes of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. It's really extraordinary. You can learn all about it at choosemuse.com. M-U-S-E, choosemuse.com, 
And if you order using the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get $30 off. So check it out. It's great. Choosemuse.com. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This uh, report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. And on the line with us is Ellen Ratner herself. Hey, Ellen. Well, thank you so much. And you know, Bob May has a house in Dharmasala. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was just I was just talking about that during the break. Uh, yeah, I heard you yeah. talk all about it. So that's why I brought it up. Okay, so just when you thought it was over, it's not over. The Masterpiece Cake Shop people are now resuing the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. Why? Wow. Well, apparently the Colorado Civil Rights Commission has a second case that they're going to bring up. And very interestingly enough, this guy, Jack, who apparently, according to his lawyers, says he has faced threats and government punishment simply because he says he runs his business according to his faith. Right. In other words, he wants to discriminate. I think the last one, the latest one, this is the guy who refused to bake a cake for a gay wedding. And this that's latest right. one is he's refusing to make a birthday cake for a trans person. Well, that's that's pretty interesting. Yep. And of course, it'll be interesting to see what the Supreme Court decides on that one, although I can probably tell you how it will decide given the makeup of the Supreme Court now. Also, a suicide bomber killed at least 37 in the Shiite district of the Afghan capital, Kabul. Uh, it means that our war in Afghanistan is far from over, just like it wasn't in Iraq as well. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, so now uh, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, is supposed to issue a uh, service report on the, on the Postal Service. Now, they're thinking of raising rates, and of course the Postal Service has a deal with Amazon. They're feeling like this is going to infringe on Amazon. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but that's certainly what, where things look like they're going. That's now, interesting. there were a bunch of primaries yesterday. As you know, the first ch transgender person uh, is the Democratic nominee in Vermont. I know. Uh, Fox uh, and now, Friends was making fun of her this morning. They were? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my! What were they saying? They called her a trans, uh, or actually, they used the word in a way that was a slur. And then uh, they they said that uh, she only won because she ran against a fourteen year old. Oh my gosh! Okay. Well, there were two other people in the race. I know. As well, by the way. I know, and you know, but uh, Fox and Friends apparently doesn't. Okay. So uh, now the governor's race in Mississippi. I mean, sorry, Minnesota. Uh, that was one of the four states that had a primary yesterday. Uh, got, former Governor Tim Pawlenty lost to the Hennepin County Commissioner. That Hennepin County is Minneapolis. Okay. Uh, Jeff Johnson, so that is going on. I think that's actually really good news, uh, Ellen, because the thing that took down Tim Pawlenty was the fact that he's been a lobbyist for banks for the last couple of years. And that's all his opponent had to say. Yeah, that's all he had to say in the ads was that he's a lobbyist for the banks. It, it is getting radioactive now in, in American politics, even on the Republican side, to be, you know, in the bag with, with big business and the banksters. Right. Uh, so also, by the way, even though there was not a primary in, um, in Kansas, the governor said that he is not going to be the candidate to Chris Kobach, who is the Trump person. So that is happening. And very interesting, uh, there is, in fact, uh, an African-American woman running in the 5th District in Connecticut. She won the primary. If she wins in November, she would be the first African-American woman to represent anybody in the great state of Connecticut. Wow. Uh, that'd be a great thing. Now, um, 
Just in case you're wondering whether we're far away from the Iowa primaries, we're not. And yesterday, Vice President... You're talking, wait a minute, you're talking the primaries for the 2020 presidential election? I am, I am. Oh, my. I know, we're not even through the 2018... Well, I know Michael Avenatti uh, was out there, Marianne Williamson was out there. There have been a few people testing the waters. Right. So, Vice President Pence uh, did an op-ed yesterday in the Des Moines Register. He's talked about all the good things that President Trump has done. And he talked about the Keystone and Dakota pipelines and how they're uh, focusing on clean power. I don't know how you do that with the pipelines, but okay, that's fine. Uh, and that they have created jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Politico, the newspaper, did a poll this morning for Republicans about who should succeed Paul Ryan. And very interesting, Steve Scalise, who's a Republican from Louisiana, who's the guy that was shot at the congressional baseball game last year at the practice. Uh, he is the one that is winning uh, the race at this point. That's fascinating. Uh, Does, do you think that, I mean, Steve Scalise famously said when he was running for the House of Representatives from Louisiana that he was David Duke without the robes. Uh, do you think that that's going to come back to haunt him? You know, I have no idea because the fact is I don't think the Republicans are going to keep the House. So I think it's mm. a moot point. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Um, right, from your lips to we'll God's ears. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope. Right? Let's hope you're right, Ellen. Let's hope you're right. Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News. Goatsfortheoldgoat.com. Loving what you do. Ellen, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Great talking with you, as always. Middays with Mark, Congressman Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Always great having you with us. I should add, your website is pocan.house.gov, and people can tweet you at rep Mark Pocan. I noticed a number of Democrats are calling on Ajit Pai, to uh, the uh, former Verizon lawyer who now runs the FCC, who lied to Congress, according to press reports, about when they had an open comment period. Literally, millions of Americans went to the FCC's website to say, don't take down net neutrality. And they blocked or ignored all of those postings, or the majority of those postings, and then said, oh, don't, nobody cares, so we're going to get rid of net neutrality. Um, do you know where this is going in Congress? Is there going to be a serious effort to hold this guy accountable for this crime? I think most of the effort, at least uh, on the House side right now, is to try to get the uh, disagreeing with their decision resolution through. Uh, the Senate passed it. Uh, so it's already through the Senate. Uh, if we can pass it in the House, uh, we could try to overturn that decision. So uh, we have a discharge petition um, trying to to do that, to have the resolution disapproval. Problem is we need uh, Republicans. We haven't had a lot of Republicans sign on yet, but I think you know that's part of the campaign we're doing because um, while there could be hearings, uh, again, it's hard to, when the Republicans are in control of the House and the Senate, to have those be effective, certainly, um, if we can outright get a vote that has disapproval of that, uh, we could perhaps overturn that decision. So I think that's where, in the House anyway, more of our focus has been on trying to get the signatures we need to force a vote. You know, the Republicans in one of their first legislative actions, I believe, maybe it was an executive action, but I, I think it was legislation, was to allow coal mines to dump more waste and poison into our rivers, which end up as our drinking water. 
They have been absolutely dancing to the tune of the fossil fuel billionaires who claim that there's no such thing as global warming. You have one Republican who has signed on to the discharge petition asking Paul Ryan to allow a vote on this uh, uh, resolution of disapproval that would overturn what Ajit Pai did with uh, the Internet. Um, is there... I mean, it's, it's so obvious, I think, to most Americans that the Republicans are insanely corrupt and the type of corruption that they're acting out is purely being bought and paid for by whoever writes the largest check, whichever industry, whether it's polluting coal or polluting oil or the big Internet service providers who want their monopolies and whatnot. I mean, I find it bizarre, for example, that one of them is advertising on TV. You can have this price for life. I mean, in a true competitive market, what happens over time is prices go down. Nobody would want a price for yeah. life, right? I mean, this is nuts. Do your Republican colleagues think of themselves as corrupt? Or is it just like, hey, go to Congress and get rich? Or is there some rationale or story that they tell themselves that, that makes this acceptable to them? I'm baffled by this. Well, I think yeah, there's two ways of looking at it. One, there's the more normal levels of corruption, which is the undue influence by special interests uh, via lobbyists, right? So something like the decision that happened around net neutrality. Uh, clearly, uh, it's in the best interest of only the big telecom companies and nobody else, no small business, no individual, no consumer. Uh, so the, that's kind of the standard garden variety corruption. And then we've got the renewed level of corruption that's been brought in by the Trump administration, which is the this, you know, having your staff find your wife a job, getting you a used mattress from the Trump Hotel, demanding expensive goods in their offices because they feel they're worth it, flying first class. There's that level. Uh, so one of the themes, I think, looking at November is what you just said, Tom, is just corruption period. Um, whether it be the more garden variety, which people are tired of, uh, which is why people are tired of corporations and the money they put into campaigns. And then part of it is the new level of corruption that when Donald Trump said he was going to drain the swamp, instead he just dredged it bigger and built a high-rise luxury condo on it. And that's you know the, the problem, I think, that people are now seeing when we pulled this issue, the Progressive Caucus in competitive congressional districts, when you talk about the swamp, and that includes big banks and big corporations, it gets even stronger, uh, the opposition to, to what's happening. So people are with us on this, and I think it is one of the themes that we're going into November on. That's great. And, and, and finally, before we pick up calls this morning, uh, you had primaries in your state yesterday. What's, what's your read on the outcome of the primaries? I mean, they were, they were in, I believe, four states altogether. Uh, you know, what's your take on what happened? What a great day we had for progressives. Uh, so Vermont, the first transgender gubernatorial candidate, and Christine Hallquist. Uh, in Connecticut, the progressive uh, won the primary for the congressional seat, Johanna Hayes. I'm a teacher of the year. Uh, she'll be the first African-American female from Connecticut uh, serving in Congress if she wins in November. In Minnesota, we had a bunch of good news. There's a number of congressional races, including, um, I think, one that listeners would be interested in, Ilhan Omar, who won uh, the Keith Ellison seat, who uh, is a strong progressive in the Minnesota legislature. And then in Wisconsin, uh, Randy Bryce, officially now, as we expected, won his primary, and now he he is uh, going to be the Democratic nominee running uh, in the congressional seat that Paul Ryan vacated. 
a lot of activity. And then also our governor's race, you know, we have a real shot at beating Scott Walker. Tony Evers is our state superintendent of schools, uh, won an eight-way primary with 40% of the vote, 42%, so won decidedly. And uh, we've got a great candidate for attorney general and Josh Call. We've had a rather ethically challenged and somewhat incompetent Republican uh, attorney general. So there's a lot of cool activity happening, and we had great primary turnouts. And the last thing I think I'd say is, just to give you an idea, again, on turnout intensity, in Wisconsin, about a million and a quarter was spent cumulatively by all of our gubernatorial candidates, and over $30 million with outside money on the Republican primary for the U.S. Senate. And we had 85,000, last time I looked, more Democratic votes than Republican votes in Wisconsin yesterday in the primary, despite that huge imbalance on spending. Wow. That's that is that is substantial. Uh, I'm curious your take on uh, the media mantra when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was elected. It was like, oh, there's a progressive wave happening. And then when not all of the candidates that she and Bernie endorsed won their primary, the, the new media narrative seems to be, oh, there's no progressive wave. Uh, what's your sense of what's real here? I think they should go back to their uh, last set of articles. It's a progressive wave. All the races I just mentioned um, wouldn't have happened uh, had it not been for a progressive wave again. And so uh, we saw that in the upper Midwest, an area that you know went more for Trump than other parts of the country two years ago. Uh, in Wisconsin, there was a poll recently uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Trump's approval rating was 36 percent in Wisconsin, and only 31% want him to run for re-election. So even 5% of the people who think he's doing a good job don't really want him around anymore. So um, I would still argue that we're seeing this really strong, progressive-based turnout coming out, and ultimately, because we're going to have a good November, that means a lot of progressives are going to get elected. Wonderful. It is Middays with Mark here on the Tom Harbin Program. Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, representing the great state of Wisconsin, taking your calls. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high-tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high-tech. And yes, I'll say it, it is sexy. This chair is extraordinary and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. A lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. 
You can uh, check out Congressman Pocan's website at pocan.house.gov. His Twitter handle is Rep Mark, M-A-R-K, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, hello, Tom, and hello, uh, Congressman Pocan. I'm calling today about the recent Saudi bombing of a uh, school bus killing 51 people, and at least 40 of them were children. I'm asking today, why is it that we have not established a no-fly zone over Saudi Arabia? They're bombing hospitals. They're bombing weddings. They are committing what the U.N. has called the largest humanitarian catastrophe in the world right now. It's been estimated that more people will starve in Yemen today than people who died during the Holocaust. We are fueling and arming the Saudi bombers who are going out into Yemen, who are dropping these bombs and advising them where to target. My question is, what are we going to do about this? Why has this Holocaust not ended yet? Jared, uh, great question. You know, I have worked closely with uh, people like Ro Khanna from California, um, Adam Smith most recently from Washington State, who is uh, the ranking member uh, on one of the committees that relates directly to our nation's defense. Um, Steny Hoyer recently joined us in doing a letter uh, around Yemen. And I think the, the good news I can offer is, you know, it went from, almost no attention to we're actually getting attention in the Senate. Bernie Sanders was able to get to, to try to get a vote. Uh, unfortunately, he ran a few votes short in the House. We are trying to do the same thing to try to force some action. But the good news, at least, is that there is growing attention to uh, what, what you described very well, an area that hasn't gotten nearly enough attention given uh, the, the calamity that's happening. The bad news is uh, the Trump administration, I think, if I remember right, the very first country uh, Donald Trump went to uh, when he became president was Saudi Arabia. Yep. Uh, when most presidents go to Canada, um, you know, he went uh, where the money is and where his business interests are, and uh, there is a closeness there that we certainly have to fight because uh, we are uh, helping in the refueling of Saudi jets. We are providing other logistical uh, help in what's going on in Yemen, and uh, yet we've often been lied to by folks in the military about this as we've asked questions. So it definitely needs more attention. We're having some progress, but we certainly have to fight against the Trump administration. Are you getting a lot of feedback about this issue from your constituents, or because this is something that is very, very rarely covered by our national news, it's also very rarely brought up by by uh, by your constituents. Um, yes, that's part of the problem. Is you know we are now getting more and more attention. We're starting to get more uh, Twitter traffic, etc., on the issue. But it's part of it is educational. You know, I think if you ask the average person, much less the average member of Congress, where Yemen is, uh, they would probably not get very close on the map to finding it. Yeah. Amen. And Dave in Pittsburgh, California, you are on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Yeah, I have a question for you. The provisional ballots, who regulates those? And is it a state regulation or a federal regulation, or is it a, uh, a law passed by the Congress? Who, who regulates it, and is there a way to petition to remove the provisional ballots completely out of the voting tree? and just not ever use the provisional ballot because we know that they don't get counted. Yeah, Dave, uh, thank you. You know, that is a good question. I wish I could give you uh, this is the definitive answer. I believe it crosses a few different jurisdictions because, um, you know, often uh, states have a little bit more control over that level. But I believe, if I remember right, there was some direct 
um, creation of the provisional ballots following the, um, the the Bush versus Gore election. It's it's in the Help America Vote Act. That's yeah, that's where it so, started in two thousand two. The implementation is done at the state level, but yeah. I could be wrong. There could be a local level jurisdiction. Uh, but we just saw, for example, in New Hampshire, they had a they were going to uh, toss out votes over some bad signatures that was ruled unconstitutional. So a lot of that oversight happens at the state level, and I know in my state, you know, we, uh, for example, recently did a photo ID uh, law that uh, matches uh, what a lot of other states have, but fortunately we still have a same-day registration law that not other states have. So I think it's probably more at your state level and the direct um, day-to-day supervision of that, but We've got lots of battles when it comes to uh, election law, and the good news is the Democrats have taken um, the, the reform as a, a big issue going into, if we take the majority things that we're going to move forward uh, around campaign finance and electoral reform will be at the very top of our agenda, and I think in the first 90 days you'll see bills move. I think one of the big problems that Dave was identifying is that if you've been purged from the ballots, I mean, we're seeing, for I'm example... Yeah. yeah, in Florida, uh, Democratic registration is down 2% just in 16 months. And, uh, and it's, it should be up because there's just this explosion of interest in Democratic candidates all around the country. And in fact, in, in every other state, it's up. And so if you've been purged from the, from the ballot, uh, you show up at the polls and they give you this thing called a provisional ballot. And 99% of Americans have no idea that that will not be counted unless you show up at the Secretary of State's office or the county election official's office within, and this is where it varies from state to state, you know, 48 to 48 hours to five days and present, uh, you know, irrefutable ID that proves that you actually are a U.S. citizen. And then and then they might count that ballot. So, you know, most real most people this I think this accounts for the redshift. You know, people people walk out of the uh, out of the voting place thinking that they voted. And then they tell the exit pollsters, yeah, I voted for the Democrat. Yeah. And that's why you get five points of redshift, because the, the Republican the Republicans are purging the Democratic voters. How do we uh, inform Americans that if you've been given a provisional ballot, you need to raise holy hell? We've talked about this on the show because of listening to uh, folks on the show. We actually introduced a bill to directly go after the cross-check issue and try to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Hopefully that's something that we can you know, try to look at should the Democrats take Congress, because clearly uh, those purges are done for one reason, one reason only, not for any uh, good government, but to purge certain types of voters and make it tougher for them to vote. Um, specifically on the provisional question, I think we just have to get the word out where that's being um, used or misused. Like I said, fortunately in some places, but I think we're the exception um, in Wisconsin where we have same-day registration. So right. you know, people can still be able to, to vote. Uh, but, you know, as you know, other states, unless you do it months in advance, you're not able to actually vote on Election Day. Oh, yeah. The, the, the rolls are closed right now in Florida for this election. Yeah. And down 2 percent, really? Ohio, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, how's it going, guys? Um, I just wanted to talk for a minute about the need for progressives to put um, policy over party politics. Um, and I'm just going to highlight three quick examples here and just let him kind of respond to it. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was in L.A. at a DSA rally. Um, Ken Mejia is a progressive green running in the, I believe, the 34th district in California against a corporately funded Democrat. He gets money from big banks, big insurance companies, the military. And she didn't come out and endorse him or even talk about him or recognize that he was even in the audience. Um, That's because he's in the Green Party. Come on, uh, Andrew, give me a break. Congressman, you want to respond to that? 
I, I can't speak for Alexandria on that. I, I, I think what um, Andrew I can say because I'm not quite sure where you're going with the example, but you know we are um, leading with uh, progressive messaging, and right now the Democrats are actually running, and, and we've been very uh, happy to be a part of getting the Democrats to the message around three things. Looking at November, uh, one is around um, health care and uh, the cost of prescription drugs. Two is around uh, good-paying wages and the need to invest in infrastructure. And three, around the corruption in Washington. And, you know, when you're talking, uh, you know, raising wages, uh, you know, joining unions, uh, raising minimum wage, uh, health care access, going after prescription drug companies, and all of the electoral and ethical reforms that need to happen, you've got a lot of progressive issues that uh, Democrats are talking about. So uh, I'm not sure if that's exactly where you're going, out, Andrew, but I can tell you uh, from where you know we are as a caucus in Congress, we've been happy to see, based on some polling we did uh, and polling the Democrats have, that we've got some issues, I think, that are going to resonate well with people uh, that definitely come from a progressive perspective. Yeah, it sounded to me like his point was that, well, he said you should put policy over politics. In other words, if you've got a green running, uh, you know, who's more progressive than a Democrat, then everybody should go to the green, which is just, I, you know, I'm just, I just reject that. I'm sorry. Russell in Hickory Hills, Illinois. Hey, Russell, what's up? Ah, uh, yeah, it's Mr. Polkan. Nice to talk to you. Now that you've got your governor's race uh, set, are you guys all going to coordinate in the state, or are all you guys going to be on your own? Because it was like a month ago, and Jerry Reed already had your guy up 55 to 41 over Scott Walker, even before he had a primary. And I was wondering, if he wins, can he do away with these ID laws? And let's be honest, the next big thing is right to work. Can he put that on the ballot to have it overturned? Yeah, good questions, Russell. I mean, so first of all, there was one poll, a Marinus uh, NBC poll, that had Tony Evers up 13 points over Scott Walker. I've seen a couple others that are a little tighter, but still with him up. I mean, this is a real race in Wisconsin, and we have a real chance based on a number of things. We have the second or fourth worst roads in the country because Scott Walker doesn't invest in infrastructure. We have uh, school cuts in Tony Evers was the state superintendent of schools, so he can talk about those issues like nothing else. And then the $4.5 billion to a foreign corporation, Foxconn, that is really seen as a boondoggle. There's plenty of issues uh, on Scott Walker. So I think if we get a Democrat governor, we will work together, uh, Tammy Baldwin and Tony Evers, as well as our candidates for attorney general and, and uh, legislative and other state offices. Uh, we are we're energized. Everyone is in a very cooperative mode. Um, there were not negative uh, attacks during the campaign. So our candidates came out strong in the state races. And then we've got some exciting congressional races. So, um, you know, I think if we get Tony Evers in, we have to see what happens with the legislative majorities, how far he can go. We don't have binding referendums. We do have advisory referendums in Wisconsin. But, you know, Scott Walker did bring us right to work, and he brought us the changes to collective bargaining rights, and he's trying to mess around with prevailing wage law and a lot of things that hurt working Americans. So uh, Tony will be a, a great contrast to what Scott Walker's incompetence has been. Rick in Seattle, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, I'm just a cranky old man. I've heard for years a lot around the current situation, how this country is a nation of laws. What is anybody in the Justice Department doing about some of these accusations and possible indictments of people like this guy, Scott, whatever is name is who was part of the EPA 
about investigations that were going on into things that he was doing. Is anybody following up on that? Or when these people resign, does everything drop out of investigation? Yeah, great questions, Rick. I mean, part of the problem we have right now is the Department of Justice is essentially under siege by even the White House. How many times has he tweeted attacks on Jeff Sessions trying to get him to leave so he can put someone who's more of a tool in place than even Jeff Sessions has been in order to try to get rid of the Mueller investigation? So they're not going to be taking, I think, any real efforts to go after the many, many scandals of people like Scott Pruitt and others. I don't anticipate that this Department of Justice will. Now, if you have a Democrat control in the House or the Senate, I think you could definitely see hearings convened and pressure put on to make sure, because what you bring up, Rick, is really valid. So often we like to hear from the Republicans that it's a nation of laws, and yet uh, they're People who are involved in government are some of the biggest violators, and yet then they raise you know, all these other little dog whistles that come around to race when it comes to law. So if we take the majority, I think there's a much greater chance that we can try to get some action. But right now, Department of Justice is a bit of a mess, given that uh, Donald Trump is actually in battle with them himself. Lisa in Las Vegas. Hey, Lisa, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, Congressman. My horror starts with Devin Nunez and uh, nothing's stopping this guy and his admission in that tape, you know, that he's there to protect the president instead of what Congress's job is to be a check and the executive branch. It's just all a mess, and there's so many other topics, but that's one of the ones bothering me. Thank you. I surely say, you know, that's a good topic to bother you. I mean, Devin Nunez has been an abysmal representative in Congress. You know, the Intelligence Committee has traditionally operated in a more bipartisan way, a little bit above politics. Uh, They've tried to keep it that way. Devin Nunez, as the chair, has done just the opposite. He's been the leader of the Shriners uh, Circus in Congress, doing crazy things, trying to defend the president rather than, as you said, be a co-equal branch of government and stand up and do the checks and balances that are needed. So, Uh, I'm hoping that the voters in that district, even though it's a a leaning Republican district, they have a great uh, alternative, and hopefully they'll look at statements like he just said, where he thinks his job is to defend the president rather than the country, and they'll decide that even if they're Republican-leaning, there's just too much corruption going on, and Devin Nunez is too much in front of all of that, and they need to replace him. The Fresno Bee, by the way, is reporting Devin Nunez news here. He was publicly called out for misusing 9-11. There was a group of constituents who held a rally for Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security across the street from his office, and he dialed 911 and <laughs> tried to get the police to break it up, apparently, or protect him from these evil people. Yeah, yeah, he's a classic example of people who've been in Washington too long and they think they're above the law. And yeah. You know, to take even a committee like that that's been traditionally well-respected by both parties and do what he's done to it, uh, that alone should be grounds to, to make him find a new career. Paul in Minneapolis, let's see on KTNF. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, and I had a question about the influence of voting machines. I mentioned earlier that uh, there are still a lot of machines could actually have faulty or systemic things that could favor whoever favorable to the machines. How does that impact our future? And I have some questions to our Minnesota elections other than that 5th District. Go ahead. 
Sure. Uh, well, Paul, I think you know, you raise an issue that I have been uh, pretty passionate about in Congress, which is if you're going to have a democracy, everyone has to have equal access to it, and you can't have it risked by something like a voting machine that's either hacked into by another country or uh, a company. And uh, we need to have things like paper ballots, which luckily the Democrats are uh, unified behind. We need to do that to make sure we've got accountability. I would love to see random audits uh, of elections as well. I would love to see our elections part of our national critical infrastructure definition, like our financial systems and our energy grids are, to provide the utmost security so someone can't abuse those systems. But there is much that we need to do. And fortunately, this is part of the Democrats' proposals to end corruption that I think you'll see move forward in the first 90 days should the House change the Democratic hand. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls for the hour. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the state of Wisconsin. His website is pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep, R-E-P, Mark, M-A-R-K, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N, rep, Mark Pocan. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Jim, watching us on Free Speech TV in Sacramento, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman. My question is a simple one. It's semantics, I think. But the Republicans seem to turn their current tax system as a permanent tax cut. And I assume that means for 10 years. But is that really true when they have a new Congress? Aren't they free to change that tax system? Yes. So under the plan they passed, uh, would in 10 years, 83% of the money uh, would go to the top 1%. Uh, they're talking about in September trying to have us make the other tax cuts for the middle class permanent, which are, again, are very, very, very small compared to the corporate tax cuts and the tax cuts that were given to the wealthiest. But any Congress could come in and change that policy. And I think we have lots of ideas when it comes to that from the Progressive Caucus, how we should make sure that we have as progressive a tax system as possible and that we're looking at some sources that make sense. Things like a financial transaction fee for high-speed financial transactions, much like the European Union. That alone would bring in a trillion dollars a year. So there's a lot of ways we could change the tax code. It's just under their current plan, it shows where their priorities are. And their priorities are in 10 years, 83% of the money goes to the top 1%. And that's why their plan is failing so miserably. Your thoughts on the upcoming week, what we should be paying attention to and doing? Well, again, this is the August in-district period for members of the House. The Senate, I think, are still playing a little bit um, because uh, Mitch McConnell's keeping Democrats from being in their districts. But I assume they'll also be home. Uh, this is a great time to get a hold of your member of Congress uh, in a face-to-face meeting while they're out and about in the public and uh, to be heard on issues. And I would recommend people uh, take advantage of that because uh, too many people don't do town halls anymore because they're afraid of their constituents. Uh, that's not fair. That's part of our job. So take advantage of this time period to get direct FaceTime uh, with your member of Congress and be heard. And in anticipation of periods like this in the future, book a hall and invite your member of Congress, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there is no excuse for this trend we've seen of people not doing town halls. That's why I went, you know, and did five of them in Paul Ryan's district, and now he's not running. You know, he needs to do so much more. That's our job, to listen to your constituents and uh, make sure your members doing that. There you go. Congressman Pocan, thanks so much for being with us every week. We really appreciate it. Oh, of course, Tom. Thank you. And today. Uh, thank you so much. You're listening to Tom Hartman. 
Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Speaking the truth, the multinational corporations would rather you didn't know all about. John in Asheville, North Carolina, listening to us on a 101.1 FM. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I just have an idea, a quick idea uh, for a whole program, and that would be uh, voting your conscience and your principles at primary time and voting your Democratic Party at election time. I agree. You know, I, I don't know how you create excitement for the uh, the people who feel that there, there's no difference. But other than just obviously what you know, what kind of a government do, do they really think that Hillary would have provided? If she had won, do they? I think it would be a very different one than the one we have right now. I said at the time, and I continue to think, that Hillary Clinton had the potential, particularly with a a progressive Democratic Party behind her. When you go back and look at the platforms that she and her husband ran on, now he didn't govern on, but what they ran on in 1992, the New Covenant speech, uh, was FDR. It was FDR all the way. Unfortunately, she didn't run for president on that. If she had, she would have beaten Donald Trump easily. Um, you know, but they had all these advisors and it was, you know, everything was micromanaged. But I, I thought at the time, and I, I still think that she had the potential to be a truly great president. Yeah, me too. I voted Hillary. Uh, I'm, I'm a so Bernie. I. I, I, should, I sent money to Bernie. Yeah, And I have too. never, I have rarely, if ever, sent any money to any organization or any political party. Well, this is the extraordinary power of speaking the truth. I mean, you know, Bernie speaks truth to power and people go, yeah, I want that. And people thought that Trump was speaking truth to power. You said, you know, every Republican on this stage wants to do away with your Social Security and Medicare. I'm not going to touch them. He lied, of course. He said, you know, I'm going to be badly hurt by my tax reforms and all of my rich buddies. We're going to get see our taxes go up. No, he lied. Eighty three percent of all tax benefits go to one top one percent of taxpayers. He said, I'm going to protect the environment. He lied. I mean, you know, he just lied through the entire campaign, and that's where we're at. So, John, spot on. I thank you for the call. It's Megan in Elma, New York. I was calling in reference to the conversation you're having with the other gentleman before about the um, elections, with the primaries versus the general. Right. Now, I understand why in policy, in the primary, we want to try to push the party to be more progressive. But why in the general are we supposed to kowtow to being supportive of Democrat if we think the policies are essentially the same as a Republican besides some social issues. That we I don't know, know any Democrats whose policies are the soon. same as Republicans. I don't know a single Democrat whose policies are the same as Republicans. Do you? Can you name one? That are the same as Republicans yes. as far as our economics go? I mean, pretty much as far as anything, can you name one Democrat who denies climate change? Most Republicans. Yeah. Okay. Uh, You know, this the circular firing squad crap is not useful. It's just not useful. Lisa in Sutherland, Oregon. Hey, Lisa, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. Nobody says it better than you. I mean, you are so articulate. I wish I could. (laughs) Thank you. I wish I could can what you say. Um, We do have podcasts you can share with your friends. (laughs) So. I do. You uh, and yesterday I tried to post your live uh, feed and it wouldn't go on my Facebook. Oh. Huh. Um, yeah. Th- this is something that and they shut down my Twitter because I tweeted Kim Jong Un and told him to ignore uh, that thing in the White House. Oh my. But anyway, uh, I've been calling my representatives for many years now, mm-hmm. and I wanted to say that this is the kind of thing that's really, really. Uh, an obstruction to democracy. First of all, I ask a simple question. Does Ron Wyden support Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All bill? And I get the runaround. First of all, Ron Wyden doesn't even answer his phone. 
Jeff Merkley does. And Jeff Merkley has moved on the Jordan Cove pipeline after I hounded him for a year. He could never say whether he was going to uh, be for or against it. Yeah, he Jeff Merkley also supports, supports Medicare for all. What's your point about Ron? Do you want to just call up and, 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 and bash him? Is that... No, I, I, what I'm saying is that they'll give you a form letter on your issue if you send an email sure. on, on their website. And it, it, I, it's a simple question. I say, just tell me yes or no. Does he support it or does he not support it? And I'm never, ever given a straight answer. And yeah. This is very, very frustrating. Well, Ron, Ron Wyden is a, is, is a more cautious uh, politician, and I'm not sure exactly why I think he came into politics. I, you know, when Merkley came into politics, it was riding a progressive wave. Ron Wyden's been around a little longer. He probably came in on a little more Bill Clinton-esque, middle-of-the-road or corporatist wave. But that doesn't make him a bad legislator. He's, and thank you for the call, Lisa. Ron Wyden has been great on issues like privacy, uh, net neutrality, internet privacy. You know, Ron, Ron Wyden has done a lot of good things. I would rather focus on the good things that some of these people are doing than the places where they don't quite live up to our standards. Uh, if, if we want them to live up to our standards, get inside the Democratic Party, run for precinct committee person or precinct committee chair, and then, you know, write the platform that these elected Democrats have to go with. Mike in uh, Wilmington, Vermont. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Hi, Tom. Uh, always a pleasure to watch Free Speech. I wanted to uh, comment on the bipartisan uh, President Obama did at the tilt to Asia to confront China. It seems to me that the greatest economic uh, plan that is on the table now is the Silk Road Project. And I think America should partner with China in the Silk Road Project and prepare for the next century. And You're talking about their Belt and something, uh, Belt and Road yes, Project? Sir. Yep. Yeah, that, China is not looking for partners in that. This is their plan to basically conquer Russia and Europe. Well, actually, they're partnered with Pakistan. Iran just jumped in. Well, those Pakistan. aren't true partnerships. So what they're saying is we'll bring the road to you so that you could buy our goods. We're opening export yeah. markets, and, and we'll also yeah. be able to bring oil back into China. Those countries will benefit. I get that. But what's in it for the United States, Mike? Yeah, well, India's in it also. But this is unstoppable. This is going to be I agree. successful. I think they're going to be the next world power. I mean, look at how rapidly they've risen just in the last 30 years. They've gone from virtually nothing to becoming really the second largest economy in the world. Because uh, they, don't, they do not waste money on war. They build wherever they go. Yeah. And, I mean, they're basically doing what Truman did after World War II, you know, rebuilding the countries around them, investing in infrastructure, building their nation, and they're doing a spectacular job of it. So summarize, Tom, partner and influence. Yeah, but they're doing this, Mike, specifically to take us down. I mean, they are to replace us. And they've been saying this for quite some time. I don't see a way to stop it, number one. And number two, historically, when empires start to fade, that typically signals war. Typically, empires lash out and you have wars as they're fading. And, and I'm very concerned that with over 700 military bases around the world, we definitely qualify as the world's largest empire. And yeah, if so China... The Corporation says that in a war with China and Russia, we better learn to speak Mandarin. Yeah, my point. And so it seems to me like the most rational thing to do is not to run out there and say, yeah, China, we want to be your buddy on all this stuff and we're going to help you expand around the world. 
uh, it would be rather to look inside, to strengthen our country. I mean, China's infrastructure is 21st century infrastructure, as is Japan's and Germany's. Ours is not. Our infrastructure, much of it's 19th century infrastructure. We should be rebuilding our country. We should be looking for ways to strengthen our economy and our democratic systems. And instead, we're not doing either. We won't do it either, Tom, because there's too much money in converting tax money into profit yeah. for the elites. Yeah. We're partnered with old England, the old monarchy, the old House of Lords, the ruling class, archaic systems. I say we still should partner with China and Russia and other nations and change their attitude. I think, I think the last chance here, Mike, is if we were to create an alliance with Russia that was compatible with our alliance with Europe and NATO, then collectively, uh, Europe and Russia and the United States and India could take on China. But I don't see that happening. I really don't see it happening. We'll see. Mike, thanks for the call. Jessica in Humboldt County, California. Hey, Jessica, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Um, I was listening to the Young Turks, and they said how the DNC is now taking money from the fossil fuel you know, industry. industry. Right. So I was just wondering if you had any insight, because I listen to you every day. I used to listen to you, and I actually called you back when George W. was president, and I was freaking out. When Obama became president, I kind of just chilled out. And then when Trump became president, I freaked out. Yeah. And so did the rest I was of us. Also- Jessica, the simple reality is that there is never going to be a political party, including the Green Party that does everything that you want and that does things the way you want or is even necessarily consistent in upholding their own values. You know, the Green Party taking money from Republicans, I think, is an example of that, just like the Democratic Party taking money from the fossil fuel industry. Uh, it, it is something that I am horrified by. I think it, it, it stains the Democratic Party's brand. I think Tom Perez uh, introducing this resolution was a huge mistake. And if he comes back on this program, it will be something that I intend to bring up with him. I think it's broadly hurting him and the Democratic Party. That said, it's in the grand scheme of things, it is not at the top of the list. I mean, the, you know, the Democratic Party is doing a lot of good stuff and a lot of good Democrats, elected Democrats are doing a lot of good stuff. And, you know, if this is what Perez thinks he has to do to survive or the Democratic Party does, there's still, I mean, the reality is that probably the majority of elected Democrats are still what, what you would call moderates, what I would call corporatists. And, you know, that's changing. It's changing quite rapidly. But, you know, we just have to acknowledge it. The, the, if we want the party to change faster, we need to get inside it. We need to be volunteering to become precinct and, committee and persons. Not, right. And I'm not saying I'm not a Democrat and I don't believe that they're not doing good because on the whole, they're doing much better than the Green Party could ever do because they're just somebody who comes during the, the elections to mess up stuff. But yeah. I was just I just feel that this is, you know, you say, oh, we're not going to do this. And then two months later, you say you're going to, and it just kind of hurts your cut a bit. It does. And I'm, I'm not I, saying I, that I'm... No, I get it, Jessica. I also don't know how much of the folder all around it, all, the hoopla around it, is being brought up by people who want to hurt the Democratic Party, although they seem to be quite capable of doing mm-hmm. that to themselves. There was somebody on Twitter who made the right. point about the Green Party. They said it's like the guy who takes uh, introductory gym membership, you know, free one day in the gym, and then walks around and tells people how to do their workouts. And it's like, you know, that's, that's, like what, that's how the Green Party is. They come in, as you said, they come in for the elections and, you know, stir things up. Jessica, thank you for the call. I'm not, frankly, frankly, all that concerned about it. I don't like it. I would like to see it changed. It's not a deal breaker for me. Bruce in Carson City, Nevada. Hey, Bruce, what's on your mind? 
Oh, hi there. How's it going? Good. Great show. I'm worried because of the, like your last caller and that, that woman before. You know, you said it last time, perfect is the enemy of the good. These people who, like the Susan Tarandons of the world, we're going to lose 2020 if, with that attitude. I agree. I mean, I mean it's why it's, I don't, I don't tolerate it. it on this program. When people come on and put that stuff out, I push back. I mean, even the most conservative Democrats. I mean, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, right? He's gone. He's gone all, you know, halfway to full Trump. He's still better than any Republican. And I would vote for him in a heartbeat over any Republican if I lived in West Virginia. Bruce, thank you for the call. Well said. Fascinating times will continue tomorrow. But in the meantime, really important message. Democracy is not a spectator sport. It really isn't. We can't just sit back and watch the election returns come in on TV and go, yeah, or oh no. No, we need to be part of this, right? You need to be part of this. And there's all kinds of ways you can be part of it. The most important, joining your local party. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.